Now we have Mara Yamauchi, who is going to talk to us about the tenuous journey to elite sport and how important it is to protect the fair competition and environment our young female athletes develop in. Mara Yamauchi is a two-time Olympian Commonwealth Games bronze medalist and the UK's third fastest female marathon runner ever. In 2009, she finished second in the London Marathon, where she set her personal best of 223.12 and was ranked second in the world in women's road running. She has also comp competed in five world championships, two European championships, and won the England National Cross Country Championship in 98. Before becoming a full-time athlete, she worked for 10 years for the UK's foreign office or equivalent to the US State Department as a diplomat, including at the British Embassy in Japan. Mara had a dream to become an elite athlete at age 11, and it took her 24 years to stand on the start line of an Olympic Games in Beijing in 2008, where she finished sixth, the joint best ever performance by a British woman in the Olympic marathon. Mara did not run seriously as a child. She spent her childhood playing hockey, netball, swimming, tennis, and other sports while she was at school in Oxford. Her story can be read in her book, Marathon Wisdom, an Elite Athlete's Insights on Running and Life. Alongside Sharon Davies, Victoria Hood, and other female athletes, Mara speaks up in defense of women's sports in the UK. It's the middle of the night in the UK right now, so we have spared Mara by pre-recording her presentation and asked her a couple questions we were curious to get her answers to ourselves. So please enjoy. Hi, my name's Mara Yamauchi and I'm, I'm talking to you today from London in the UK. Thank you very much for inviting me to speak today and thank you very much for the work you're doing at ICONS to defend women's sport. I began speaking out against the damage gender identity ideology is doing to fair and safe sport for women and girls in 2021 because I was shocked and appalled by what I was seeing. Biological males competing against females people shaming women for defending the right of female athletes to fair and safe competition, and cowardly people in sports governing bodies failing to protect women and girls in sport. My view is that women's sport should be for those born female at birth only. Males do not belong in women's sport under any circumstances. Males have everything they could possibly wish for already in sport. And as we all know, men's sport gets much more than women's sport in, for example, revenue, sponsorship, and media coverage. Males need to stay in men's sport and leave women's sport alone. The first point I wanna make is to address the argument we sometimes hear that goes like this. At elite level, we need fairness in women's sport, but lower down, we should be more inclusive. I've heard this argument from four men I know who are all heavily involved in sport. I strongly reject this argument for two reasons. One, it is essentially saying, women and girls, if you are good at sport, a good athlete, accomplished at your sport, then okay, we'll give you fairness. But if you aren't a very good athlete, you aren't good at sport, you're a bit slow, uh, not that skilled, then you don't matter and you just have to accept males in your sports. Suck it up, ladies. You should have tried harder. Then you might have been good enough to deserve fairness. It's hopefully blindingly obvious why this is wrong. It's demeaning to women and girls who are not that good at sport. It's very demotivating 
and will turn them away from sport. We know that many women and girls drop out of or never even get into sport. And these are precisely the kind of women and girls we need to be encouraging into sport. And of course, men's sport is not affected at all by gender identity ideology. So no man or boy who is not very good at sport will be told, suck it up lads and accept unfairness and a lack of safety in your sports. The second reason why I reject this argument is because it breaks the development pathway. This is the process by which an individual transforms themselves from total beginner to adult, adult elite athlete, passing through various stages between these two points, including, for example, county, regional, national, continental, and up to world and Olympic levels. This process takes years, sometimes decades. It involves an enormous amount of hard work, training, competition, and sacrifices, not only from the athlete themselves, but from family members and supporters too. No elite athlete is born elite. All of them start at the bottom and work their way up to the top or as far upwards towards the top as they can manage. At any point along that precarious pathway, an athlete can and will suffer setbacks and may leave it altogether due to injury, not being good enough, having to do other things like earn a living or not being able to afford to continue or any number of other reasons. To stay on that pathway until you reach elite level takes a massive amount of training, hard work and sacrifice. If you think this development pathway is easy, let me tell you about mine. It took me 24 years from when I had a dream to become an elite athlete as a little girl aged 11 to standing on the start line of an Olympic Games in 2008. It's akin to leaping through flaming hoops for years and years. I earned my first GB vest for the 1997 European Cross Country Championships by a tiny fraction of a second because I dipped ahead of a rival on the finish line of the trial race. I got selected, she missed out. My first attempt to qualify for a global championship in the marathon ended in failure. At my second attempt, I snuck in by eight seconds. In 2005, I was the first athlete at the GB trials for the World Cross Country Championships not to be selected for the team, but a last minute withdrawal from the team meant I got picked. I was the last member of the team, but on the day, I was the first British athlete to finish, which was a massive confidence boost. At a tennis camp when I was about 15, I was utterly humiliated by a boy making derogatory comments about my breasts in front of a large group of about 30 adults and children. Just before the 2007 World Championships where I finished ninth, I caught the flu. Just before the 2008 Beijing Olympics, I had a bone stress response. In 2011, I had to withdraw from the London Marathon with injury and therefore had to forego a large proportion of my income for that year. I hope these examples illustrate and give you a flavor for how precarious that pathway is and how hard you have to work to stay on it. Males competing in the female category destroys the development pathway for females. Every time a male competes in women's sport, he takes from, he takes from not one, but many females, things of value which otherwise would help them to progress along that pathway. For example, medals, points, qualifications, places on teams, prize money, self-worth and confidence. Right now, female athletes are being impeded, obstructed and pushed off this development pathway by males. 
if at any point in those 24 years it took me, I had had to face unfair competition against one or more males, I would certainly have quit, not just the pathway, but sport altogether. Reaching elite level in sport takes so much hard work, effort, money, sacrifice, and yet mediocre males think they can just turn up and push females off this pathway, enabled by cowardly officials and event organizers. I cannot put into words how egregious this is. Even IOC president Thomas Bach has said women's sport at elite level must be fair, but lower down and at grassroots level, it must be inclusive. What this means is two things. He thinks elite athletes appear from nowhere as fully formed champions, which of course is completely untrue. And he's happy to destroy the development pathway, which enables females to reach elite level. Now I want to make another point about the development pathway. I only began running seriously at age 18 when I went to university. I did nothing of note in running during my childhood. Instead, I spent a lot of time doing other sports, especially swimming, hockey and netball. Doing these sports laid the foundation for my later career as an endurance runner. Therefore, for me to stay on the pathway towards elite sport required all these sports to be fair and safe for women and girls. If any one of them had allowed males into it, I would have quit. We have a situation now in which a few sports are enforcing female only for the female category, for example, world rugby and British triathlon from January next year. But many still allow males into them, many by self-ID. So it just isn't good enough that a few sports enforce female only. It has to be female only across all sports and at all levels. The next point I want to make is about what goes on around competition. The focus in this debate has been on competition, that it needs to be fair and safe for women and girls. However, sport is not just about competition. It's also about what choices and opportunities are on offer to whom, changing rooms and toilets, recognition for good performance, and so on. Of course, I fully agree that competition for women and girls must be fair and safe, but increasingly I'm becoming very concerned about what is happening around competition. For example, as you of course all know, the female rivals of Leah Thomas were forced to share changing rooms in which they would be undressing and naked with an intact male without their consent and were told to shut up and get mental counseling if they complained. This is the most disgraceful outrage to me Still on the subject of changing rooms, last December, Oxford City Council in my hometown passed a trans inclusion motion which stated that all council run facilities should be gender neutral. Ever since I was eight years old, I've used council run facilities in Oxford, the Ferry Pool, Temple Cowley Pool, Hinksey Pool, Oxford Etc's Hockey Club, Cutterslow Park toilets, to name just a few. If I'd had to undress and change in front of adult males as a, as a little girl, I'm certain my parents would not have allowed me to join the swimming club or the hockey club or any other club. I would never have been able to spend the years I did training in those clubs and laying the foundations for my later career as an elite marathon runner. It doesn't matter if no males actually turned up. The point is, if males are allowed at all into female changing rooms and toilets, then the possibility of a male showing up at any moment means that many women and girls will not and cannot use those facilities. Nowadays, I use these facilities in Oxford with my 86-year-old mother when I visit her in Oxford to help keep her fit and healthy in her old age. She also now faces the appalling prospect of having to change in front of males. 
I wrote to Oxford City Council last December about their motion and never got a reply. Another example of what happens around competition is this. All the world marathon majors marathons, except Tokyo, have now adopted a non-binary category. This affects the choice and opportunity available to runners. Males now have two categories in these races in which they can enjoy fair competition, whereas females still only have one category in which they can enjoy fair competition. Furthermore, the non-binary categories, as Lauren Bondley said, have introduced belief, which is totally irrelevant in sport as a sports category. This undermines the entire essence of sport to do your best under fair competition in categories which are relevant to sport. Recognition for good performance is another area around competition that has also been sacrificed on the altar of gender identity ideology. Now we are compelled to recognize males of a similar actual level to females, but this means these males are mediocre and much worse athletes than the females they compete against. The very good females are excluded from medal podiums, excluded from competitions altogether, excluded from prize money, excluded from the recognition they deserve by mediocre males. Yet another example of the damage being done around competition is the record books. Strava allows self-ID on its platform. Predictably, males who identify as women are stealing things like segment records and queen of the mountain segments from actual females. Because of male advantage, these segments will probably never get back into any female athlete's hands. Several, if not all of the records Leah Thomas broke may never get back into the hands of female swimmers. Another example, we have also seen evidence of deliberate underperformance by males competing in the female category. This is a grotesque manipulation of the central essence of sport, namely trying your absolute best. And of course, no female athlete competing against males has the luxury of choosing whether to put in a maximal effort or not. The entire fabric of sport, not just fair and safe competition for women and girls, is broken by this appalling ideology. We often hear the phrase erasing women because women are described as menstruators, cervix havers or birthing bodies. What is happening in women's sport is also erasing women. There are almost no sports now in which the rules state that the female category is exclusively for females only. If you define women's sport as being sport for females only, then we can say that women's sport almost no longer exists. What we are left with is men's sport and mixed sport, but no women's sport. I cannot put into words what an absolute travesty this is. Thank you very much for listening. Well, thank you so much for that amazing presentation. I just wanted to ask you a couple questions um, to hear your insights. One of the things I heard you talk about was the age group um, level categories. And one of the things that we're finding across sports, particularly in the US, but across the world is that also masters and seniors uh, categories for women are being cast aside in the same manner as if they are undeserving of fairness as well. So you spoke about your 86 year old mother and how important it is to keep her active. Can you speak a little bit about um, some of the more advanced age levels and um, your thoughts on, 
on unfair treatment to them as well? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, master's level and older women may not be on the development pathway to elite sport, but as I said, you know, females of all ages and abilities deserve fair and safe competition in their own category. And that absolutely applies to older women, um, you know, masters and senior level. But even more important than that is women in, in middle age, in older age, sport is so helpful for them, you know, to keep their physical health going and mental health and to to stay strong in old age. You know, we all lose our strength after about the age of 40 through muscle wastage. And of course, uh, women in their 40s, 50s will be going through per perimenopause and menopause. It's, it's absolutely essential that women in those age groups are encouraged to be active. You know, it's really a public health issue. And males in, those, in the female category in those age groups does not help at all uh, to encourage women of those ages to do sport. But also, I've met many women who've taken up running uh, from nothing in their 40s, 50s, and even later, often after their children have left home and they have a bit more time. Um, so they are sort of beginners at running, if I can, if I can put it like that, it, you know, in midlife. And they absolutely need to be encouraged to come into the sport, stay in it, and what they need for that is safe and fair competition. We absolutely agree. Thank you for that. Um, one more question. So you mentioned that you have been speaking out for about 15 months or so. Have you found yourself evolving in confidence and knowledge and feeling more encouraged as you continue to speak out? Do you have regrets? You know, you've been canceled so to speak as we all have um but uh, what kind of encouragement do you offer to others who are contemplating um taking that first step um in speaking the truth like you have the only regret i have is that i didn't speak out sooner and earlier uh because this had already been going on for several years when i started speaking up that was in about june last year 2021 two things really triggered me into speaking up. I had been following it for some years and I'd seen the abuse that athletes, you know, athletes like Paula Radcliffe, Kelly Holmes received for speaking up. So those two things were a tweet by Sharon Davis, the Olympic swimmer who was cheated out of a gold medal at the Olympics. She said, if you are silent on this, you are complicit in the destruction of women's sport. And I thought, yeah, she's absolutely right. I can't just sit here silently anymore. And then the second thing was the Maya Forstater uh, tribunal appeal judgment, which set out in law that gender critical views are protected. So these are views like sex is important, sex is real, sex matters in certain contexts. There are, there are only two sexes, you can't change your sex. That being protected in law made me realize that I was safer uh, to speak up. And Maya's statement, be a little braver tomorrow than you were today, really resonated. And I thought I really have to speak up, but I, I, was, quite, I was quite scared because I'd seen the appalling cancellation and bullying that others who had spoken up 
had had received and the first actual event I went to in person I was I was quite scared but I was absolutely overwhelmed by the support encouragement and just sisterhood from from everybody at that event there were some men there as well who were also very encouraging um and in December last year, that was my first experience of cancellation. Um, a, a male runner called me a, a transphobic, hateful woman um, and tried to get me sacked from my sources of income. But in response to that, I was absolutely overwhelmed by people coming to my defense you know, I was looking on Twitter thinking, right, I need to respond to this. But while I was thinking, I was just overwhelmed by other people stepping in, telling this man he was out of order and coming to my defense. Um, because, you know, what I say is a perfectly reasonable thing, which is that females must have fair and safe competition. Um, you know, males have it. So why shouldn't females have it? What I'm saying is not um bigoted or against trans people i'm simply defending women's sport so if you have viewers listeners who want to speak up but are too afraid to i really encourage you to speak up because lots of people support you lots of people share your views uh, the bullies can't silence all of us and the other piece of advice i have is to arm yourselves with knowledge uh, there are lots of good sources of information out there, like ICONS uh, in the UK, Fair Play for Women, Sex Matters, Coach Linda Blade in Canada, Dr. Ross Tucker in South Africa. There are huge numbers of individuals and organizations who are sources of um, evidence, facts, knowledge. Um, so just, just seek them out. Nearly all of them are on Twitter and online. Um, and then when people come at you with nonsense like the Michael Phelps long arms argument, you can you can respond with facts and evidence and put them straight. So, yeah, it's it's really not that bad. I encourage everybody to speak up because this this affects all of us. You know, females are the only ones who miss out in sport, but all the men out there, they have sisters, daughters, nieces female cousins, female friends, you know, if, if the men out there think this doesn't affect them, they're, they're wrong. Thank you so much for that. And I wholeheartedly agree and also encourage anyone to um, speak out because it's certainly worth it to stand up for truth. And thank you again for being here today. Your message is very powerful and we just are so appreciative that you would come and share that with us. Thank you very much for having me. Please keep up the great work you're doing at ICONS. We will. Thank you. You too in the UK. <laughs>